unexpectedly, the climber would almost certainly be killed. I walked around the property, looked at the tree from various angles, and told him, $500. He shrugged and agreed. It wasn't worth $500 to go up into that tree. It wasn't worth any amount. But I saw another way to do it. On either side of the property were two taller trees that were roughly lined up with the one in question. I climbed both of the taller trees, set up a tension line between them, clipped into it, and pulled myself hand over hand until I was directly over the tree that had to come down. I rappelled down into it and began working. If it fell out from under me, I was still safe. I limbed the tree out and then dropped the trunk in sections. It took two hours. At the time, it felt like the best thing I'd ever done. Inevitably, I was going to have an accident. Almost every climber I knew had. And mine came while I was pruning a small elm in Wellfleet, Massachusetts. I was in a hurry, cutting too quickly, and the next thing I knew I'd hit the back of my leg with the chainsaw and exposed my Achilles tendon. At first the wound didn't hurt much and barely bled, but it shook me up badly. If I'd severed the tendon, I could have had problems my whole life. The accident was sloppy and unfortunate, but it made me realize that I didn't want to be a climber and struggling writer forever. I was 30 years old. I should either tackle a book project or get out of the writing business altogether. The idea for a book came to me gradually while I was recovering from my injury. What about a book on dangerous jobs? Logging, commercial fishing, drilling for oil? They all were jobs that society depended on, and they were vastly more dangerous than the sorts of adventure sports that were becoming so fascinating to the public. Six months later, with no magazine assignment and certainly no book contract, but with a huge measure of last-ditch determination, I flew to California, rented a car, and drove to Boise, Idaho. One hot day in late July, 1992, I presented myself at the smoke jumper loft adjacent to the Boise airport and explained my intention to write about wildfire. The next day, to my amazement, I was in a government helicopter looking down at the Flicker Creek fire. The result was a long piece on forest firefighting that I envisioned as the first chapter in my book on dangerous jobs. Parts of it were published as a magazine article, but the rest sat in a drawer while I went on to tackle other projects. The next topic was commercial fishing and focused on a Gloucester swordfishing boat named the Andrea Gale that was lost with all hands during a huge storm in 1991. That chapter took on a life of its own and eventually became the perfect storm. Finally, I wanted to write about war reporters, a topic that had an added appeal because I could always try to do that if my book writing career didn't work out. In July 1993, I flew to Vienna, Austria, and walked into the Associated Press office and asked if they needed any help in Bosnia. The answer was no. I went anyway. Two weeks later, I was in Sarajevo, in the middle of the Civil War. I think it's fair to say that I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I learned quickly, though. I started doing a little freelance radio reporting. I wrote a couple of newspaper articles. I watched and tried to emulate the other journalists. Half of them were as inexperienced as I was. For the most part, our credentials simply stemmed from the fact that we were there. But we all had one thing in common. We were absolutely mesmerized by what was going on around us. None of the journalists whom I knew wanted to leave the war, ever. None of them felt that it was anything less than the most important event in their lives. I still don't fully understand why that may be. What is this fascination that roots firefighters in their tracks while 300-foot flames twist out of a stand of spruce? 
Why do journalists, I've done this myself, crawl up to front lines even though there's almost no information of any journalistic value there? It's tempting to draw some dreadful conclusion about the inherent voyeurism of humans, but I think that would be missing the point. People are drawn to those situations out of an utterly amoral sense of awe that has nothing to do with their understanding of the larger tragedy. Awe is one of those human traits, like love or hate or fear, that overpowers almost everything else we believe in, at least for a little while. Some people experience awe when they are in the presence of what they understand to be God. Others experience it during a hurricane or a rocket attack. In a narrow sense, these situations are all the same. They completely override the concerns of our puny human lives. I never wrote my book on dangerous jobs. My fascination with those kinds of stories developed into a general passion for foreign reporting. The stories.